So everyone, thank you for joining us tonight for the educational series. Today we have Annette Richardson with us who will be presenting on um, sensory process. In her talk, she will discuss how the loss of vision impacts a child's sensory processing, learning and behaviors. This is an educational series um, program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers and professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented today should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but rather information to help us better help the students and children. Um, and once again, thank you, Annette, for joining us today. Good afternoon, good evening. I'm not sure what we should call it either. Um, my name is Annette Richardson. Can you see the screen now? Yes, we see the screen. Okay, and you can hear me okay? Yes, we can, Annette. Okay, good. Um, you're going to hear a couple of dings for a couple more minutes. I left another meeting and everyone's saying goodbye. So you're getting all the chats of saying goodbye. Um, I've been an occupational therapist for 23 years. I've worked at the regional center for ooh, 22 years. How old does that make me? Um, I love sensory processing. It makes me understand my kids better than any other frame of reference that I have other than perhaps developmental. Um, today, you're going to get a very quick oversight of sensory processing as it pertains to children with visual deficits. Um, not all the information is here. I want you to start thinking about your child from a sensory perspective, and that's my goal today. Um, so we've done the introduction. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what sensory processing is. I want to describe visual processing and how lack of vision affects our other sensory systems, um, which seems to be the biggest issue. Um, it isn't that we can't see. It's how it affects our other senses that probably causes the most difficulty. Um, how we can compensate for visual deficits, and then I hope to have time um, to answer questions. If you have questions, we've kind of prearranged a place to have questions, so keep your questions in mind, or you can write them down, and um, we'll take breaks to talk about the questions. Okay, it used to be probably a year and a half ago, I would have told you that there were seven senses. We've talked a while about eight senses. I didn't think there was enough research to support the eighth sense, but now I think there is enough and they're qualifying it. So we're gonna go real quick through the senses um, and then we'll look at them as they pertain to vision and how vision affects these senses. So the first is taste, so that one's pretty easy, right? The second one is smell. Um, smell and taste are very closely related. If I, um, if I plugged your nose, covered your eyes, and gave you a Coke and a 7-Up, only probably 30% of people would be able to tell the difference between um, Coke and 7-Up so that we know that the smell of those drinks has a lot to do with what they taste like. So the two of those, as far as eating, have a lot to do with each other. The third would be auditory. It's the um, only distance sense that we have other than vision. So that 
what we see in our children with vision deficits is, you know, vision is a distant sense, right? We see things from far away. It's our first warning sign. So our children, when they're looking for information that they that isn't very close to them, they rely on their auditory system. And so that's a very, very important system for very many of our kids um, who do have vision deficits. We have um, our touch system. We call that tactile if you're reading things about this, if I might pique your interest and you decide to do some reading. Um, we're gonna talk about vision. Vestibular is our sense of movement. Um, it's very mediated by vision. And so children who have vision deficits have difficulty with their sense of movement. It comes from the inner ear. Um, and so we're, we're going to grab onto that sense as we try to help these kids feel comfortable with their environment in space. Um, our proprioceptive sense is our sense of our body. Um, how do I know that if my eyes are closed, that my eyes are my arms are parallel to the ground? To me, it's amazing, right? That my brain can tell me that my arms are parallel to the ground. Um, some of that is related to vision, right? Because my brain sees a picture of my body parallel to the ground with my arms parallel to the ground. Um, but most of it has to do with this sense of proprioception, my body awareness, and that comes from my joints. Um, we find that these kiddos seek a lot of proprioceptive input um, because when I lack vision, my body is seeking some kind of information to keep regulated and aroused to the right degree. So we'll look at that as well. Interoception is the eighth sense. It's the sense that we've looked at for a while that for me I talked about, but didn't tell parents that we had the research to support it. They have recently said that interoception is part of the proprioceptive system, so I accept it because that's what I always thought. Um, so our, our sense of interoception is my sense of, am I hungry? Am I nervous? Is my mouth dry because I'm giving a presentation? Is my heart beating? That's our sense of proprioception. Now, not so much affected for our kids with vision deficits, although, and so I didn't put it in the PowerPoint, but then I thought about one kid I saw who was kind of lost himself in hearing himself breathe, right? Because he didn't have this, we have visual input without even trying. And we can move our heads to refocus. We can move our heads if we're nervous, you know, to look at something that pleases us to calm us down. So there, I do remember one kid who kind of lost himself in, he'd make his heart rate race to calm himself down. 
because he didn't have vision. And that's what we figured out to be able to, you know, regulate his nervous system. So, no, it's there. And again, this is just a very quick overview. I see my job today for you as answering questions. OK, so we know what they all are individually, but in reality, that's not what's most important. What mo what's most important is that all our senses can work together as a team. Um, so our brain processes information from all our senses at any given moment, and it decides what's important. OK, um, you know, when you walk into your house, and you notice that your grandkids were over because the cookies were left out, right? You didn't look around your whole house and say, aha, uh -huh, I wonder what changed in my kitchen. Your vision is always looking and only brings to the forefront what's different, what's changed. Um, and it's that way with all your senses. So the information is compared for validity. So are my eyes and my nose and my hearing and my body position telling me all the same things about an environment or an object, okay? Um, and based on processing all this, everything, all eight senses, the brain comes up with a plan and responds to the information. So, I may withdraw, I may approach, I may scream, I may laugh, um, depending on what all my senses tell me and how the brain interprets all the senses. So I may be scared visually, but it smells good, right? Mom's smiling like it might taste good. So my brain says, huh, one to two, I'm going to try the food, okay? So it's all our senses working together to make us come up with a plan, make us decide how to respond. So your child reacts to the results of his actions, and we'll see this very clearly in um, two of the videos that I do want to show you. Um, and so if Initially, I think something's awesome and I try it and it scares me. The next time I approach that situation, I'm going to be more timid. I might not, I might approach it differently. I might approach it from the side. I might approach it not looking at it if I were a typical child. And so our initial response to is totally dependent on what's going to happen the next time. And so um, what happens that first time? The child's actions change how the child responds the next time. So it's this repeated circle over and over and over again until we refine our movement, should it be a balance activity, res um, respond to a person's facial expression if it happens to be visual input, um, it changes our response to that. Now, children who have sensory systems that work well, they make these little changes until everything works out perfectly and they're able to learn to ride a bike or they're able to learn to cruise the couch or they're able to see differences in pictures or they're able to hear if a parent is happy or sad right based on the react their response to the parent's voice okay 
Um, and so when we have a system missing, i.e. our vision, all the other sensory systems change. They have to be more alert or less alert. They have to be more aggressive or less aggressive. Our brain has to totally change how it does things. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go out of the video and we're going to see a, out of my PowerPoint and we're gonna see a video of a child whose sensory system works well. And this child has been introduced to novel things. Novel things have not been scary to them. And this child sees something novel and laughs. Now, one thing, my guess is for the video that we're going to see, mom is smiling at that child and the child sees that, okay? So not only has the child's past experience said, this is a good, this is gonna be fun. Novelty is good. Mom is with all her facial expressions saying, this is a good thing. For our children who have vision deficits, we have to replace that, right? We have to replace that with our voice. We have to replace that with warning the child that something novel is coming towards them. Um, if we see their facial, we're a mom, if the child withdrew from something, oh, that's okay, you know, it's gonna be okay, and mom is still smiling. So we are always going to have to think about using auditory and tactile input to tell a child who has vision deficits that everything's okay. And so it's easy for us when a child has vision, you know, I'm really good at getting kids to eat, kids who have vision, because my facial expression tells that child, oh, you can do this. It sometimes tells them, oh, this is going to be awful, but you can do this. It's going to be okay. So for our kids with vision deficits, we have to think so clearly about using our bodies, our language, our touch, in ways that we typically use facial expression, okay? And I want to, this is this video is a really good place to qualify this. So I'm gonna stop sharing and I'm gonna pull up my video and see if we can't share it. While we wait for the video, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to put them in the chat and when we have a moment, I will share them with Annette. Okay. So you're not gonna see a baby laughing and giggling at a plastic bag that, well, let's do this, that makes a lot of noise. But I want to then show you, now that baby occasionally hesitates, right? But he plays and plays and plays and plays. Okay, so that's when our sensory system works. We have movement, we have sound, we have touch right? We have every sensation. She's moving her arms. So we have vestibular proprioception. Every sense is giving her information and telling her this is a good thing. Okay, now my next video is loaded on my computer. So I can go back to my PowerPoint and we'll show the video. Okay, now that little one had poor, 
four cent, you know, very tactically defensive, right? He wanted to touch that toy, but look at the effort and everything that went into that and he still freaks, right? So we see this often, often. I see this with our kids who have vision deficits because their tactile system is so hypersensitive right? The brain is trying to say, I need more information. I can't see. I'm going to depend on my hearing and my sense of touch to, to help me get information um, about this object, right, that I'm being presented with or that I hear. So most of our kids that I have seen who have vision deficit are very hyper-responsive and very anxious about sensory input unless we start immediately introducing them to sensation. And for, as parents, it, the things that you're probably asked to do seem silly. Like, you know, once a day, I want you, this is my homework, to introduce your baby, a brand new baby, to a new texture. I want you to identify that texture, right? Because I need to have that auditory input to warn a child that that texture is coming, right? A child with vision sees the texture and says, you know, how babies learn is all about sameness. Ooh, that looks the same as that over there. I can kind of expect that it's going to feel like this. So it's not this <gasps> shock. Now, my guess it, on the video of the baby who withdrew, he had touched that before, but he was a very brave baby who had a sensory system that wasn't, was over responsive and he couldn't handle that input. Okay, so before we go on sense by sense, are there any questions? We'll have plenty okay. of time for questions, so. Okay, so vision requires 70% of our sensory receptors of our entire body, 70%. All the rest get 30% of the receptors. So you think vision is important? Yes. Do you think it's important to the sensory system? Yes. And that's why we have to start building up all the other senses when we know a child has sensory deficits because they're getting 70% of a typical child of sensory input through their vision, okay? Vision is what we use to allay our fears, I guess, is a good way to put it. So when I walk into a room and I've never been there before, what's the first thing I do? I look around, right? If I'm going to a party, I, I'm standing back and I'm looking around and I'm deciding, oh, I might go talk to that person. I might go talk to that person. Uh, I'm a little nervous. There's the bathroom, right? I think I'll go to the bathroom first, right? So our, our vision gives us warning way ahead of any of our other senses. You know, we may hear the sound. It may sound like an exciting party. It may sound like people are arguing. So we may have a little bit of other distance information, but mostly we rely on our sense of vision. 
So we have to think about that. Our kids with vision deficits can't make decisions until things are very close to them. And that's kind of scary, right? I mean, it's scary. And, and not necessarily in a bad way, but it tells us how we need to approach our children, how we need to present things to them. And so for me, if the only other sense that is a distant sense is auditory, right? If I have a child who has some vision deficit, but hearing's good, I'm gonna rely so much on hearing. Everything is going to have some sort of an auditory component to warn the child that I'm, you know, this sensation is going to come at them. Vision assists with skill acquisition. So if I walk in and someone, we're doing a paint, we're doing wine and painting party, right? The first thing you do when you walk in is you look around and see what everyone else is doing, right? Our kids can't do that. If I want to learn to crochet, I watch somebody else crochet. Our kids don't have that advantage. So we have to approach skill acquisition in a different way, correct? Okay. It's the sense, again, so it's the sense most relied on with novel activity, i.e. learning to crochet, i.e. being in a place I've never been before. Um, and it plays a big role in ideation. And ideation is my brain making a picture of what I'm going to do. So I wanna go turn on the light. In an instant, my brain runs this picture across my brain. I don't even know it, that I'm gonna turn my chair because I'm in a swivel chair. I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna walk to the light switch and turn it on. That's ideation. So our kids with vision deficit, it's a little bit different for them, okay? They're going to say, you know, what they're thinking is, I'm gonna tighten my quads, I'm gonna lean forward, I'm gonna stand up, right? It's different for them. Their pictures, their pictures are different, okay? Okay, my sense of smell. So when any of our senses are compromised, other senses often become more heightened, right? Um, children may be sensitive to smell. So be aware and acknowledge feelings. So when I take a child who has vision deficit into the bathroom and they panic, you know, we often think it's the sound of the flushing toilet or maybe the sound of, you know, the door slamming. But could it be the smell? So smell is something we have to talk about with our kids. You know, I, I, I'm often commenting about smell. I will actually, when I was treating kids ongoing, offer smells to find out what the kids liked and didn't like, you know, um, because it can be all consuming. It can be totally distracting. Um, when I cooked broccoli, my husband left the house. He couldn't stand, stand the smell. And he's the most kicked back guy you'd have ever wanted to meet. 
Okay, so it's very distracting. It can be very overwhelming. We need to be aware. And for most of us, we don't even think about it, right? But for our kids, it could it could be a huge factor because, again, 70% of receptors are vision. Our brain is trying to make up for that lack of information through our other senses. Okay, so we have to pay attention to all the other senses. Um, you can teach a child to use their sense of smell to see. So for some of my kids who were really, really scaredy cats, right, um, that they, you know, they were just afraid of anything, I would take something pleasant and I'd put a smell on it. And I'm, I'm saying, and so the toy came there, I go, I'd rub something, now do you smell it? Yes. So every time you smell that smell, that's the toy approaching. That's the food approaching, whatever it is, because it was their way to see what was coming towards them. Okay? Um, I would also identify objects by their smells. So if we're eating and it's broccoli, I identified it as broccoli. What does that smell like? It smells sweet. So you can, you know, not only the object itself, but sweet, sour, um, whatever it is, so that their sense of auditory gives them a distance understanding of what's coming towards them. Okay, and again, this is all just from sensory perspective, right? We do things a lot differently depending on our goal, but for our sensory perspective, this is what we need to do. And we need to give choices based on, on um, smell because lots of times when our kids don't see, especially for our kids who we know are always going to choose the same thing and the minute we give them the toy, they are going to keep it and not even try to see if they want the other toy, right? I would associate smell with a toy. Do you want this toy or do you want this toy? Okay, and give choices of food. Choice is empowering. And how do most of us choose? By vision, right? And our kids don't have that. And so somehow we have to figure a way to give them choice kind of at a distance. Okay, here's another, here's another distance, auditory, right? Auditory is often hypersensitive. And we often say, oh, but my kid loves to listen to music, right? And so they're under responsive. I would say to you, think that maybe the music is drowning out all the other sounds that the kids are hearing. Okay, so it's not just that they're liking music, but I ask you to ask, and it's not always the case, but sometimes the auditory is disguising all the background noise, the humming and this and that and the other thing uh, that kids do you know, to block out all the sound around them, okay? Um, I would ask you to be very animated. Um, in the same way um, for children who are deaf, that our facial expression goes crazy, right? 
when you watch someone use sign language, their face, their body is so expressive. We need to use our voice in the same way for our children who have vision, visual deficits because they might not be able to see our facial expressions or well enough to interpret our facial expressions. So what comes out of our mouth has, you know, we have to be actors. And, um, you know, if you're, you think the child's afraid of something, oh, you're gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. You know, your voice just has to transmit what your face would typically transmit. Um, we don't want, again, when I'm teaching a child something who has vision deficits, I don't do it in a noisy place. I just don't because, again, right, the brain is paying attention to the hearing. That's as much distraction as if I let a kid run back and forth across, you know, in front of them when I'm trying to teach them something. Um, so we talked about music for distraction um, and lots of anxiety can be attributed to distant sound. Um, and you're not gonna notice it. You're gonna think it's other things in your kids with vision deficits. Um, like it might be they're not comfortable sitting or they don't, you know, they can't see. But when you watch children say on the spectrum who have hypersensitive hearing, hearing can be one of the most distracting and anxiety causing senses there are. And so from that perspective, I think, you know, because again, it's a sensory thing that I, when I'm working with a child with a vision deficit, also say to myself, the auditory piece could cause this child anxiety as well. Okay. Okay, slide, let's go on here. Okay. Taste. Children are often very sensitive to the taste of foods. Is it the taste of foods or that we're putting it in their mouth and we don't and they don't know what it is? Which is it, right? And we have to consider that. Um, when I do feeding seminars, I make adults feed each other and they hate it, right? Because the food's coming too fast. It's coming too slow. The bite is too big. The bite is too little. So here we are with a child who can't see the food coming that we're offering them, right? And so we need to tell them, you know, we need to put words to things, even for our our lower functioning kids because I believe that they will associate a word with something that is pleasing to them, right? I believe that with all my heart. They may never repeat it, whatever, but, and, and if you watch and you know, you know, I call them scary foods when I was feeding kids with vision deficits. Okay, here comes the feet. Here comes, it's it's almost to your mouth. It's to almost to your nose. Can you smell it? Do you want me to, I'm gonna put it on your lip and it's that slow because putting something in your mouth is very intimate. <laughs> and if, I, I mean, it is. And if you have a hyper alert, you know, sense of taste, 
and you're already nervous, it makes it even worse. And then your gag reflex happens and life, go, you know, and life becomes miserable. So words, signs in their hands, whatever it is to let them know you're coming, to let them know that, um, you know, what to kind of expect. Okay. Um, all right. Tactile. So our sense of touch is an awesome sense. People who don't have vision deficits use their hands to see. You can put your hands in your pockets and tell the difference between a dime and a quarter. You're seeing, right, the dime and the quarter with your hands. Um, so this is the gift that our kiddos have, their sense of touch. Um, again, touch in our babies is often hyper, you know, alert because of the vision deficit. So we have to start immediately introducing hands to textures, to activities, to sensations. Um, you know, I had one little boy that um, he had no language, but when he ate, he held my hand and he gave me a happy squeeze and a sad squeeze. And that's how we monitored feeding. Um, and I don't even remember how that happened, but, and it worked for many of my kids. You know, I held their hand while we were eating and we made up when I could provide the food and when I did not. Sometimes if they let go of my hand, I stopped. Sometimes they squeezed my hand and we kept going until they let go. So again, tactile, and we can use that, but we must you know, respect the sensitivity of the hands that our kids have. Um, again, identify with words. Um, adjectives are important, as is the tone of your voice. So hot, cold, icky, sticky, um, any of those kinds of words that you think, and your kids will understand more than you think because it's a protective mechanism, okay? Vestibular. Okay. This one for me is the tough one um, because our kids use movement to regulate. So we have a lot of our children with vision deficits who do a lot of rocking, right? And a lot of, you know, we call it stimming. I won't call it stimming because that's not what it is. Visual people distract their gaze. They look at something else. They have all these techniques that they can use to change their arousal level visually. You know, you play with your pencil and you look at it. You have a million things that you can do. So don't tell me that kids with vision deficits that rock back and forth are stimming. Um, it kind of frustrates me. <laughs> They're trying to regulate their arousal system and swimming kind of has this negative connotation that I don't buy into. They are doing their best to be able to stay calm or, or be aroused in their environment. Because think, when you're waiting in the doctor's office, everything you do to keep yourself from getting too anxious at going to the doctor or keeping yourself from being bored are visual, right? Right? And so then our kids are in their strollers or whatever, and they're waiting for the doctor's office and they start rocking and we're telling them, stop, stop, stop. 
really? Right? I mean, you're using your phone to distraction. You're looking around at the people, um, all those things. Um, and so we need to change their ability to regulate their arousal state from vestibular. I mean, home vestibular is great. Do we want it to be more productive than rocking? Most likely, um, but it doesn't have an. It shouldn't have a negative connotation. I want you to understand that it's mostly regulatory. It's mostly to calm or arouse. All right, and so that's a clue. So I say to myself, is my child bored or is he anxious? And depending on which one it is, we intercede. Okay, so in a way, um, they're telling us I'm over aroused. I'm under aroused. We need to play. We you need to hold me, whatever it is that that child is working against. Okay. Another difficulty these kids have is that we use our eyes to be able to sit up straight. Um, so, and we use our eyes. So the first time I reach for my hand, the reach, the first time I reach for my hand, I might miss it, right? I miss it. If I'm a new baby and I'm trying to learn to grab at objects, I miss it. But then the second time I get closer and the third time I kind of, I'm all over the place, but I touch it. My movements mediated by my eyes. Our kiddos, our kiddos don't have that, but we can use our voice to guide them, right? If I want my child, if I'm working with a child on the table, I might tap at the table, you know, find the whatever, what, whatever it is. When we do tots and toys and I'm trying to look, get a child to locate a switch and, um, they don't even see the lighted switches, I will tap, right? And they'll get, and I'll, you know, and we may move them to the switch. All those things that all our visual teachers are so good at doing that. But again, we can use that auditory input um, to help our babies. Um, our kids are typically afraid of imposed movement. Because again, when I pick up a baby and move them, their eyes are correcting their balance. So when you move a child with a visual deficit, you're going to offer a lot of input, vestibular input, and you're going to go slow so that their reflexes have time to react. Our vision makes it go a lot faster, but we have reflexes, they're called head writing reflexes, that allow us to fix our head, but they're slower. Our vision just is so fast. It's such a wonderful sense that we have. Again, that's why it has 70% of our brain's receptors, okay? So what does that mean? It means every chance you get, you want to move your baby, and move their limbs and move their head in any kind of fun game activity you have. You may start out rolling them in a blanket held by both people so that blanket is keeping them nice and tight and they're rolling. They're getting tactile and heavy 
you know, proprioceptive input as we're rolling them. You may want to hold them tight and roll them. You may want to sit them against your body so they have the tactile and that proprioceptive input of your hands pushing against them, against you. Um, and slowly you're moving them away from your body. Okay, so that their bodies can do it on their own. It's just that our kids have to go slower. It takes more time. And, you know, it's like anything for typical kids or not. We can take three steps forward and we make a mistake and it's two steps back, right? It's it's a bummer, but it's a fact of life. So we have, you know, I'm a turtle. I go really slow. And when I was treating kids, everyone laughed at me because I went so slow. But at the end of a six month period, I was at the same place as my peers and I didn't have scared kids. So slow, you know, let them be your guide. Uh, <clears throat> sensory integration is basically getting a goal completed using the child as the guide. So I'm always watching for body language. Our kids tell us so much with our, their bodies, even if they don't talk. So much with their facial expression, even if they don't talk. And so we have to be especially aware of that so that, um, that we know what's coming next. Okay, last sense is proprioception. And I'm going to make it. Okay. So our kiddos to proprioception are typically under responsive. So proprioception is body awareness, right? Um, um, be, and, and a lot of it comes from having to learn movement without benefit of the eyes. Because initially I started like this and my eyes told me my arm was parallel to the ground. So my memory records that and when I close my eyes, my arm goes there. Right. Um, as an example, even a vestibular, when we do a sensory integration and praxis test, there's two tests. There's one standing on one foot with my eyes open and one standing on one foot with my eyes closed. Because it's so much more difficult with my eyes closed, even if I learned with my eyes, you know, open, if I was able to do that, because vision is always correcting my body always correcting my body so you know we're going to take little steps when we make you know when we do motor development with our kids we're going to do it against weight so if i'm having a child reach for something i might put just a little pressure on their arm and maybe guide them as i do it too right so that they get their brain gets feeling from my sense of pressure on their arm to the object or if I'm wanting them to clap hands, I may start, you know, with with pressure on the outside of their arms, Bring, not at their hands because tactile will take over the situation, right? Because tactile has a lot more information. So when I clap hands, I clap hands. I clap hands here when I clap with a child. When they're reaching, I put just a little bit of pressure. If they're I might put a, a little one pound weight if we're working on switches, whatever it is, to build up that visual internal sense of my body. Okay, these kids, because they lack proprioceptive input, chew on their, chew on their hands, chew on their clothes, 
we see a lot of head banging, right? Again, head banging is an arousal regulating thing, but it also feels good because there's all this input. Um, I give a lot of my visual deficit kids who can do it um, a lot of chewy things. Like I might leave if candy's okay with the family licorice, licorice out for a couple of days and it gets hard um, and let them chew because our strongest joint is our jaw. The pressure exerted from our jaw is stronger than any other joint. So if I have a child who is hyper aroused, I go to chewing. And it's why many babies suck on their nipple, right? Rather than suck the nipple, they sit and chew on it because there's so much proprioceptive input and proprioceptive input is very calming. Um, it's why we bounce babies in our arms, right? That's proprioceptive input. Um, it's why kids love merry-go-rounds. It's vestibular, but it's also pushing your body, right, against the force of gravity. Um, so any kind of proprioceptive input that you can think to get, you know, pushing on the shoulders while they're, you know, when they're sitting, when you're trying to teach a kiddo to sit, pushing through the shoulders gently through the hips, whether they're forward or back, gives them that extra information that they need because they don't have vision to know where their body is in space. If you have them in quadruped, same thing, you know, you may want to push through their hips, you may want to push through their arms. Anything to give them that extra information to make up for what is lacking for vision. 